Hello and welcome to Everyone's a Critic. I'm Joe Stevens. I'm Samuel Hunt. And he just cracked open a beer. <laughs> Professional as always. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this week I think we've got genuine, real, real variety of films for you. Yeah, we've had variety before, but never like this. No. Uh, on Monday... Samuel and I both went to see Sing Street. Yeah, I dragged. I, well, I didn't drag you to it, no. but you wouldn't have gone to see it if I hadn't persuaded you. No, I wouldn't have done. Not because I didn't want to see it, because I, I didn't think I had enough time to see two new releases. Yeah, yeah. Uh, within our, our short window. Well, thank God you came. Yeah, really, and I, I thanked him in person and <laughs> straight after. You know, we sat there, watched the whole credits. But you know, we'll talk about that more a bit later. Yeah, that's my film though. Yeah, that's Samuel's I'm film. I'm reviewing that. Yeah. You stole Everybody Wants Some from me and yeah. I stole well, Sing Street from you. In the same way that I took, took you to Everybody Wants Some. I guess so. And that yeah. was a preview as well. Yeah, it was a preview as well. Preview. Um, I'm just fresh from watching the new X-Men Apocalypse. We're continuing the uh, sort of Marvel comic strip vibe. Yeah, I I see. I think you should see the next one. Uh, yeah, I mean, you must be getting sick of it. I am by now. We'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> Just like I was getting sick of three, seeing three modern movies yeah. in a row. Yeah. You know, superhero movies. It's just well, yeah. We'll talk. About, actually, we'll talk about it in the review. We'll talk about it in the review. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's been a few films recently that I kind of wanted to see that I haven't been able to get to, like Green Room. I really wanted to see Green Room. Patrick Stewart plays a Nazi, like skinhead, you know, what more could you want? I mean, can you really call Patrick Stewart a skinhead? <laughs> well, yeah. That, that's, that's imply he oh, shaves Patrick. his head. <laughs> Who are you today? I'm a skinhead. Oh, fuck, wouldn't have noticed. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so different. <laughs> um, yeah, you wouldn't have had to spend long in makeup for that. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, what else is there? Looking forward to that new one, The Nice... Was it The Nice Guys? Yeah, The Nice Guys with Ryan Reynolds and Russell Crowe. No. Ryan Reynolds and Ryan Gosling. What are you talking about? Ryan Gosling. I'm just... That was a which brings thing. us in to the uh, hidden gem this week, which is Adventureland. Adventureland, with yeah. With Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, sort of not in a lead role, but um, in a very good supporting role. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ryan Reynolds. Um, and... I would have liked to have seen Florence Foster Jenkins... Yeah. I heard a lot of that. Three, three of my colleagues in quite a small office went to see that and they all, all really liked it. Apparently Hugh Grant, back to what he's good at. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I've heard it's one of Hugh Grant's best performances, actually. Yeah, I, I mean, I've always been a really big Hugh Grant fan. I mm. think Four Weddings is fantastic. But there Love was, there was a run of films, a couple oh. of the mid-noughties, oh, yeah. that he, he was in awful, awful films. I mean, one could argue that it's been going on since until Florence Foster Jenkins. You know, I've, I haven't seen it, but I'm assuming it's well, I mean, the rewrite, you saw that. You quite liked that. I quite liked it. It was it was better than what I was expecting. Yeah, it was watchable. It was watchable. Yeah. He did his thing. Yeah, he did the Hugh Grant kind of thing. Obviously, he was an American. Oh, uh, bubbling uh, English <laughs> charm. I oh, somehow went over the American in the end. Oh. Yeah, I'm very surprised all these girls want to sleep with me. Oh, I'm so <laughs> surprised. Oh, I'm so conflicted. Yes. Well, it was it was possible, I guess. And looking forward to Mother's Day. Just we're just the, the film. Yeah, just seeing the posters. We've got the posters right. You probably if you go if you catch the tube in London, you will have seen this poster starring Jennifer Aniston, Kate Hudson, Julia Roberts. I say that with a a sigh, really, because I feel sorry for her. She's such a talented actress. Mm. Uh, I don't know why she's. In this Why do people wash. decide? Well, let's not prejudge it. No. It could be a work of genius. No, but it's along the lines of the New Year's Eve films and the Valentine's, Valentine's Day, Day Leap Year. Oh, Leap Year. Which Mark Mo calls Leap Year. <laughs> um, yeah. It's one that, of those, those films, films you see when you watch the trailer, you've basically seen the whole movie. Any decent gag is going to be in the trailer. Do you know well, what I mean? And then it's just a, it's just a film that it just masquerades as sort of women empowerment, and you know it's obviously not going to be that. It's just going to be some exercise in really I'm bad not even comedy. Sure it's even masquerading as that. The interesting thing there on the poster you'll notice it says from the director of Pretty Woman, ooh, and Valentine's Day, and but, ooh, yeah, they had it's to like put a, that a lucky dip. Director. So who who was the director of Pretty Woman? I'm going to have to look it up, aren't I? Yeah. Obviously starring Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. I like Pretty Woman. I love Pretty Woman, yeah. yeah it's yeah. a really good film. Yeah. I remember I hadn't, I hadn't seen it until a couple of years ago. It was on TV. Uh, after the news or something. I was like, oh, yeah. 
I'm gonna watch this. It's always I've really enjoyed it. It's yeah. one of those ones. You know, ITV Two owns like they own like four movies. They own that Love Actually, like The Runaway Bride. Yeah, <laughs> literally, and they just play them on a loop every bloody week. Yeah, Love Actually is always on ITV Two. It's always on. It's yeah. always on. I reckon. Yeah, it's probably on at least once a week. Okay, fine. Well, I think we've about you know talked enough. Yeah. No. I reckon so. Getting a bit bored of this. Should uh, we... <laughs> yeah. Awkward. Should we move on? Right. So what's who? Who's doing the first one? I think I'm doing the first one. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So coming up, X Men Apocalypse. Apocalypse. <laughs> Stay tuned. Welcome back to Everyone's a Critic. So, um, I'm just, literally a couple hours ago, I finished watching X-Men Apocalypse at the North Finchley View. Oh, the new one. We don't usually go there. No, we don't. I, I used to go there a bit more. Um, I'm more of a picture house man these days, but time constraints existed that I had to get from work, watch this film, and get here. Um, it feels like the kind of popcorn fodder movie that you can go and watch in a multiplex and not feel like the experience is being ruined by watching it in a multiplex. Do you know what I mean? It no, feels like the kind of film that is suited to that kind of cinema. Yeah, and it, you know, they are they are good screens. They have, yeah. they, have, they have really good screens. They have really good sound. It's, it's a little bit soulless, but whatever. You can't yeah. go to some sort of fancy pants, middle class, All the time. Um, restaurant, cafe, independent cinema. I like your picture house, <laughs> but that's what you are. Yeah, yeah there's no denying it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what I like about the view, though, is they have a current... By any four items, no, get a four for three. Oh, by, really? by any four items and get the last one free. That's really how real desperation. Like, I'll have the popcorn, how, especially when the size is it's like three I'll liters the of coke. And I'll have the nachos for free. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Who who would be doing that? I mean, seriously, I don't know. The the best new deal is the KFC take five. You get five like different items, like drink, chips, piece of chicken like wings or whatever, for £3. It's not ridiculous. Can you taste the tears of the chicken? Mate, they taste good. <laughs> Finger looking good. <laughs> Going off topic here. Going off topic. Back so to I movie. went to see X-Men Apocalypse. Um, so this is the the third in the series of the kind of most recent X-Men incarnation, um, which began with X-Men First Class, uh, which was directed um, by... Oh, I can't remember his name now, that's really annoying. But the, the guy who directed Kick-Ass and Lair Cake um, oh. and Stardust and The Kingsman. He's a really interesting director. Simon's going to look it up for me now. So I really enjoyed that. That was kind of based in the 60s and it's when, um, you know, Charles Xavier, who plays, plays Professor, or who has Professor X, played by James McAvoy and Matthew um, Magneto. Matthew Vaughan, yeah. Uh, and Magneto, um, played by Michael Fassbender, first starting out, 60s, they're young. Um, and then the second one was X-Men Days of Future Past, which was back to Brian Singer. And Brian Singer was, um, he directed the old X, the first two old X-Men movies. Um, so kind of going, going a little bit back to their roots, I didn't enjoy that as much. So I'm going to this with a little trepidation. Hmm. So is Brian Singer helming this one as he's well? He's helming this one as well. Right, okay. Um, he directed X Men Two, which for some people is kind of definitive superhero movie, and is how it's how you make a sequel. Yeah, it's significant improvement. The original, original. X Men Two. Yeah, yeah, I remember really, really enjoying. That's that. a really good film. That's the one where Magneto uh, at the towards the end, like there's something that's going to kill all the mutants, and he changes it to kill all mankind, and then they have to stop him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. Yeah. No, that that's a and that's like a definitive kind of sequel that genuinely improves on the original. Like Aliens. Well, no, well, that no, was not, offered. Not in my opinion. Yeah. No. Okay. Um, so this one is based in the eighties. It's ten years after the events of X Men: Days of Future Past. Uh, Professor X has grown his um, kind of school for the gifted, where he kind of has this big, uh, these big old grounds and takes in um, mutants and kind of teaches them to control their powers. Hmm. Uh, you know, they're not kind of by bigoted society. Yes. Um, and meanwhile, you know, actually, it first opens with kind of Egyptian times, about 3600 BC, 
and what it seems to be the first mutant. Um, and he's kind of worshipped as a god, like pharaohs were. Yeah. And he's having his powers... Tra- it, this is a really convoluted plot. What are his powers? This is part of the Because they all Samuel. have different powers, don't they? Yeah. Do you ever get of... confused and think, oh, I've forgotten what he does, I've forgotten what he does? Or are there not that many characters? No, you, you do. I found I could remember. Um, but Apocalypse, I don't even know. No, he has some Egyptian name. Um, but his powers seem slightly vague. He can kind of move the ground and stop people and turn people into sand and dust. <laughs> anyway, so he's buried and um, kind of deep under some pyramid. Um, and then he awakens in the kind of 1983 and is disillusioned as you may well be if you're from year 3000 and you wake up in 1983 yeah and what the hell is going on people are listening to uh, Aha and Duran Duran and there are nuclear weapons everywhere yeah (laughs) Yeah. Um, and he's like you know what I'm going to gather four mutants you could say four horsemen of the apocalypse Uh and view them with extra powers um, and tear down this world and build up a new one um, then the X-Men try and stop him. It's it's kind of a hard plot to explain, really. There's a lot going on. We don't have that much time. No. My, uh, should we, let, let's play a clip. Let's though. have a clip. Let's then. play a clip. Um, so this is Magneto. At the beginning of the film, he was like a reformed character, uh, kind of living in hiding, works at a mill. Um, but this is shortly after he has been exposed and he is confronting his colleagues, in the steel mill in Poland. And this is Michael Fassbender. This is Michael Fassbender, yeah. As Magneto. Yeah. Some of you spoke to the police about what you believe you witnessed here yesterday. You want to know my powers? Know who I am? See what I can do. Think of the person you love most in your life. Now that person will know what it is to lose someone they love. Henrik, proszę cię. Nie rób tego. My name isn't Henrik. My name is Magneto. So that was a clip from X-Men Apocalypse. Um, and let's start with the, the good things. I, Michael Fassbender, throughout these three films, is someone you know you can believe in. He's always good value. He's always good value, and he plays a genuinely conflicted character. Um, and that's one of the interesting things about you know, X-Men as comics and as a series and the films, is that um, the kind of... The two, the main protagonists and the main villain, you could argue, you know, Charles Xavier and Magneto, are kind of two sides of the same coin. They used to be friends. They both want to protect mutants. Just Charles Xavier has more faith in humanity um, mm. and wants people to coincide. And Magneto, um, you know, has this background of being a victim of the concentration camps and has no faith in humanity mm-hmm. and thinks, you know what, if they're out to get us, we'll be able to get them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Michael Fassbender is, you know, is good value, as always. Um, as is Jennifer Lawrence. You know, she plays... Um, yeah, I haven't even mentioned her yet. No, so she plays Mystique, who at the beginning is kind of laid low for a bit after she was um, kind of all over the news ten years previously. <clears throat> um... Yeah, and she can she, she can change. She's a shapeshifter. Basically. But the question is, if you look like Jennifer Lawrence, why would you want to look like anything else? Well, she doesn't change out of Jennifer Lawrence mode. Oh, good. Um, much of the time. Um, so you know, those, those are the two good things. I think James McAvoy is good as well. Um, the thing is, a like most films, and especially these films, it's way too long. Um, I thought they did there was a lot a lot of just build up and introducing this character for ages um, the main villain Mm. and um, him uniting everyone and 
cutting back to the X-Men, um, back at Charles Xavier's. And there's so much build-up, and not a huge amount in between that and what's supposed to be the climactic fight. Right, okay. That I, I, I felt like it was hard to get a proper grip. Yeah, so there was no sort of segue into... It didn't feel like... No, there's no segue. And it's really, really... Obviously, it's a superhero film, but it's really, really ratcheted up to 11. Especially at, po- at the points with... Uh, I'm gonna, I can't remember his name. I'm going to call him Apocalypse, the kind of hmm. original mutant who kind of thinks he's a god, yeah, yeah. basically. The bits with him are ratcheted up to 11. You know, the, the opening sequence I found laughable... Um, and the if I compare it to uh, Captain America's Civil War, that is something that, is, as silly as it may seem, that I thought they're trying to somehow ground in reality. That, you know, Captain America is basically a, a super soldier. You know, I kind of think of that. Iron Man is all... But there's politics of, as well. There's politics, yeah. you know. It's about, do you go unilateral? Do you just kind of do whatever you want because you have so much faith? in that you're doing the right thing or do you go multilateral and everyone agrees but maybe you won't get the you indecision will lead to, to worse consequences mm. and there's more things going on in that and you have more connection to the characters I felt I had connection to um, Magneto kind of but he's not in it that much Xavier yeah um, and Jennifer Lawrence who plays Mystique but there's so much jumping back and forth I didn't believe that much in the villain um, and in the sort of action sequences, because I guess this is my biggest problem with superhero movies, is I don't really find them because I don't. I'm not. I'm never really that invested in the mm. characters. A load of shit just happening on the screen, yeah, no matter that, how that, good it that's is. That's what it feels like. I always just find that quite. Uh, it's quite tiring. It is, yeah. On the eye, like, and just quite. I never. Just as I said, I'm not really invested, so I find it quite dull. Yeah, and that's what I found with, you know, with the kind of final big climactic fight. And they always go on for too long. Mm. And there's literally a moment where I was like, oh my god, is this introducing a new, new thing? Why won't it end? Yeah, yeah. And that's you know, not what I, you should I, be feeling. No, because I, that's I shouldn't be feeling really that. why you should. I, sh- I shouldn't be feeling, why won't this fight or this film end? I didn't hate it. Mm. I thought it was probably better than Batman vs. Superman. Um, the other thing, you know, about the fight scenes is, again, in... Uh, Captain America Civil War a lot of them felt quite visceral the kind of the camera work and handiwork made it feel more real yeah um, kind of like proper hand to hand stuff yeah yeah that you know you, you felt like more invested in and you thought oh that, that looked like it it might have hurt mm. um, whereas this is, is because of the nature of it I guess a bit more sort of kind of telekinesis and yeah and when, malarkey, and when superheroes fighting superheroes you never really feel like they're going to die anyway because they're superheroes. Do you know what I mean? So there's no, no risk. It's not like in a Bond film no. where, you know, if one bullet hits him, he's gone, even though, you know, they never do hit him. Yeah. You know, in a superhero movie, it always feels like it's going to take a lot to kill any of them. Yeah. I, I didn't think it was terrible. It was, you know, a decent young cast. I was like Michael Fassbender. I was a bit disappointed by Oscar Isaac, to be honest. Really? The main villain. That's a shame because well, I really like him. Well, I like Oscar Isaac. Maybe, he, you know, I think it's probably quite a hard role to pull off. But I didn't find him that believable. I found his character, you know, trying to have a lot of gravitas, but I I didn't really go on with it. He's constantly calling people my child. You're all my children now. Oh, God. Yeah. Jesus. Um, <laughs> that's that's, that's yeah. really bad. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> right, okay, fine. Well, I so think, not great. I get the gist, yeah. I, Another average sort of superhero fun, fantastical production I guess yeah I'd rate it towards the lower end they're okay. much better and I don't know what rights Marvel has to this I know for a long time it wasn't part of the kind of Marvel Studios mm. um, but you know generally the Marvel Studios productions that they have the full rights to are of a higher quality well, um, I, I because say what you want about Disney you know they've I think, I think they've got a, a good handle on producing these films to a decent quality. If yeah. not something amazing, it's not utter hogwash. Like, you know, the Fantastic Four is a huge flop. Hmm. That was Marvel slash Disney. Right, okay. I mean, to be honest, I'm just so bored of... There seems to be it's a complete, superhero movie it's complete oversaturation. every week. Yeah, complete oversaturation. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, really, you know, there should be five or six a year. 
Yeah, you know, and but, then, but 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 saying then, other, there should be then, five or six a year, we're at this point where that doesn't seem like many. You know, how ridiculous is that? Yeah, I know, and I'm saying that thinking. I mean, before I started doing this, mm. you know, the podcast, and I never saw those films. Mm. You know, never really just chose to go and see those films. Mm. I'm just realizing now how many of them there are. I haven't even seen any of, any of them. We're, I haven't and even the, seen them. This is we're, probably, at, we're at May, mate, and you've seen three already. We've probably missed one or two. We'll probably be at ten or twelve by the end of the year. This is the thing, man. This is coming from. I used to. I read comics growing up. You mm. know, when I was kind of when you're born. eight. Uh, you know, 13. Yeah. I read comics. I, I used to really like them and I think it's an oversaturation. I think it's kind of ruining the joy of comics. It doesn't actually mean that comic sales are going up either. Um, it, you know, show some show some variety. You know, have a few more films like Sing Street, you know, yeah. instead of speaking well, of it. With that, bring this review to a close. I didn't hate it. I think it's maybe part of a wider point to, you know, show some invention. There we go. People. Be more creative. Maybe we won't see the next one. Maybe we will. I don't no. know. I'll go and see the next one. Okay. Right. Coming up next, Sing Street. Hi, and welcome back to Everyone's Critic. As Joe mentioned in the intro, um, I took him to see Sing Street on Monday. I'd seen the posters on the tube and um, I thought it looked really interesting. Same director as Once and Begin Again. You haven't seen Once, have you? No, I've seen Begin Again. You've seen Begin Again yeah. uh, with uh, Kira Knightley and... Mark Ruffalo. And Mark Ruffalo. Adam Levine, James Corden, CeeLo Green, loads of people, right, actually. Yeah, I forgot. Oh, uh, yeah, there was quite an ensemble, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but Once was directed by John Carney um, on a budget of 150000 quite a while ago now. It must have been pre-2010, I think. Yeah, it turned into a West End musical. Turned into a West End. So that's what I'm saying. A hugely um, successful film based on 150000 It grossed sort of $20 million at theatres. really impressive. Yeah, really, wow. really impressive. And sort of had a... It was about... Two people meeting in Dublin, um, in you know, they're in different relationships, different stages of their lives, and basically finding uh, something in common through music. And, and it wasn't sort of you know, heavy rock and roll music, mm. it wasn't even uh, like amazing music, mm. it was just the songs meant something to them, mm. and you know, you really got that feeling of two souls coming together, almost colliding. Um, and that where that was quite sweet and almost melancholic, um. Sing Street's quite a different animal. It's there's a lot more characters in it, um, mm. and it's got a much more hip, sort of excited feel, which mm. is not a bad thing. I really like it. It's just a comparison to those people who've seen Once. This is quite a different film. Um, so its main character is called Connor. He lives in Dublin, and uh, there's problems with his parents at home. They're having marital problems. They're also having financial problems. Which means instead of him continuing to go to the posh school that he Jesuit posh, school the Jesuit school that he goes to in Dublin, he is going to be transferred to a state school run by Catholic priests. Now <laughs> that might not have been well. I'm sure it would have been scary back in the 1980s. Yeah. You know, now obviously it's no, terrifying. No. Exactly, and you know, <coughs> I've actually you know I lived in Ireland for mm. ten years, uh, as probably most of you know. And I actually, you know, I went to some schools where they spoke Irish and, you know, Catholicism was quite deep-rooted. And uh, there's a constant obsession in this film from one of the characters of wanting to escape to London. And I can safely say that that was quite close to my heart in terms of how I felt during some of my youth. Um, so anyway, so this guy goes to Catholic school and he's obviously bullied because of his looks. You know, he's wearing like a posh suit and no one else is wearing it. And... Um, his background, and I guess he never really realised what the other side of Dublin really looked like yeah. until now. Do you know what I mean? You certainly get that sense he's a fish out of water. Yeah, there's a brilliant bit where he walks into school the first day and there's a fight going on. Yeah, yeah, and, and he's, he's just, just looking, looking around and thinking, fuck, I better keep my head down. Yeah, and there's a brutal fight going on, and then he pans, the camera pans up, there's the head teacher just looking down, watching it, doing ha- nothing. Having a cigarette. From a, from a window, yeah. yeah. So all the Catholic priests are sort of you know, putting their hearing aids in, yeah. to, etc. Um, and you know, the headmaster's really horrible to him. Anyway, he meets 
a girl, he meets an attractive girl outside the school and he tries to sort of chat her up and in doing this he spawn on on spur of the moment says that he has a band and that she should be in the music video yeah. for his band. And then as soon as as soon as uh, they say goodbye, he's like, Shit, I better I better create a band. Now. Yeah, walks across the street to his friend and say We've got to start a band. We've got to start a band. <laughs> yeah. So he starts a band with the intention of getting this girl in the music videos and with the intention of obviously, you know, getting off with her. Yeah. That's basically the premise of the film. Yeah. And then he recruits a motley crew from his school of sort of social outcasts. Yeah. But there's, there's, there's quite a little, it's a bit tongue in cheek. Um, they have some sort of, I don't know how to describe it really. It's, it's not harmful at all, but they. For instance, they recruit a black guy because they say, "How cool would it be to have a black guy yeah, it's like in the band?" Black guy in the school. Yeah, he's the only black guy in the school. A, a running that's joke gonna, about that. Yeah, that's gonna. But the mom answers the door and she's like, "Oh no, they're two doors down." Of course, they're two doors down. But like, how, how many? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not. You know, it's just obviously completely harmless. You know, and I think it's typical of the kind of um, idealistic, uh, naive ideas that you have when you're young and it's, you, you would say something like that mm. and you don't, it's not racist, do you know mm. what I mean? It's just, just is the fact there's not that many people mm. in the 80s, there probably weren't that many black people in mm. London, do you know what I mean? In Dublin. In Dublin, sorry. Yeah, yeah in London, yeah. Um, it features music by Duran Duran, Spandau Ballet, The Jam, it has a really good sense of the time, the time setting that it's in. Um, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, it has a really good t- sense of the time setting that it's in, in terms of, like, every time they're playing different kinds of music, emulating Spandau Ballet, Duran Duran, you know, the hairstyles change along mm. with the music. Yeah, which, The Cure's another one. The Cure's yeah. another one. They go through a Cure phase. Anyway, we have a clip here, and it is um, Connor's brother talking to him about what his band should be, how it should not be a covers band, how it should be a band that plays original songs, because... Rock and roll is all about having the courage to, you know, put yourself out there. That was bad, bad music, and there is nothing as bad in this world as bad music. You know, you can record overtakes. No. That was a novelty act. You want to have actual sexual intercourse, right? Yeah. What? What? The girl. It's all about the girl, isn't it? Yeah, the girl, yeah. And you're going to use somebody else's art to get her? Are you kidding? We're just starting. We need to learn how to play. Did the Sex Pistols know how to play? You don't need to know how to play. Who are you, Steely Dan? You need to learn how not to play, Connor. That's the trick. That's rock and roll. And that takes practice. And you're not a covers band, by the way. Really? No. Every school has a covers band. Every pub has a covers band. Every wedding has a covers band. And every covers band has a middle-aged member who'll never know whether they could have made it in the music industry or not because they never had the balls to write a song for someone else. Rock and roll is a risk. You risk being ridiculed. But I don't know how to write a song. Close that door and sit down. Really? It's going to be a long night. Of school in the morning. This is school. That was the voice of Jack Rayner playing Connor's brother. There's a bit of School of Rock in there almost, isn't there? Yeah, no, uh, definitely a bit of School of Rock. Um, this is school. <laughs> yeah, the kind of, you know, close the door's going to be a long night. This is, this is your education. Exactly. And, um, but, but there's also a, a nice little edge to that speech. Um, he plays, the, the older brother is kind of like a stoner, doesn't really do anything. Yeah. But in his younger years, you feel like this is something that he wanted to do. And it's that classic thing of um, the reason he's talking so passionately and trying to educate his brother is because I think he doesn't want him to go down the same route of not doing it as he did. Yeah, you know what I mean? c- trying to live through him, really, in a way. Yeah, exactly. And then he has that speech later on where he says, you know, I had to put up with my mum and dad, two Catholic people who yeah. married. The only reason why they married is because they wanted to have sex, you know, yeah. and I was with them for six years on my own. Yeah. I paved the way for you to come through. Almost as if... You know, he was he had to take that damage and yeah. you know and shield his brother so that he could his brother could get on with with doing this now. Yeah. Um, but I let you you know you're chomping at the bit because you you were a really massive fan of this and I could tell you know we came out of the screening you had a massive smile on your face. Yeah, the whole way through and just just coming out. Um, as soon as it ended, you know, we sat and watched the whole credits go by, and I just said, Samuel, thank you so much <laughs> for convincing me to come. It's a pleasure. Um, yeah, I I thought it was really funny. I think, you know, the relationship between those two is really good. Um, I think, yeah, it's a bit of School of Rock. But I think the film, in its themes, is about a few, few things. It really made me 
want to be in a band, which I perceived my kind of old school bands a bit more. And it's, uh, I think at its heart, hey, you know, it's about brothers. Um, it's about kind of young, head over heels uh, love. Yes. You know, when you're kind of completely infatuated by someone. Mm. Um, and I think they do that really well, mm. the, the relationship. Um, between Rafinha and Connor mm. um, or he kind of slowly wins her over and she'll just little looks but I think more than anything it's about kind of just pursuing your dreams mm. and going for it just learning by doing I think there's an element I, I definitely think that's true but I think there's an element to which that pursuing of dreams it provides an escapism for the characters oh definitely so Rafinha dreams about escaping to London. I yeah. mean, that's a very physical thing, getting out yeah. of the environment that she's in. But I, I think in the same way, Connor, with the relationship between his parents happening, with the school that he's in, he sees music as that same kind of escape. Yeah, and you know, you, know he, I mean? he, you see him grow as a character, as you know, in his confidence. Um, but you know, it. I think it's a, the main message of the film is: if you want to do something, do it. You know, don't. Mm. Don't lie around and wait for it to happen to you. Don't, don't be wish the you brother. Do don't be your brother telling oh, someone else. Yeah. Don't be the middle-aged guy uh, in the covers band. What no? Not knowing whether he could have made it in the music industry because he never tried it. Go and make a music video with mm. your bunch of your other thirteen-year-old mates mm. um, and, and, I, and I, see what it's like. And <clears throat> you know, try and chat to the mysterious older girl the street the and, and convince her. Um, that, you know, you're shooting a music video. I think it's about uh, there's a film about going for it, mm. uh, about pursuing your dreams. And the music, the music, their old music is really good. I just went home and I listened to the soundtrack. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, John Carney, he wrote some of the songs. Yeah, and I really feel like that that says a lot because the first thing it says is. Well, the songs are good. Yeah. Um, so the first thing it says is he understands songwriting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's not a director who's making a film about a band or making a film about young songwriters who doesn't understand how to write a song. He's, yeah. he's done it. Do you know what and I mean? And he understands the joy of music and the joy of making music. But and also, was... the fact that he's composing the songs yeah. means that he can tailor them to the film. Yeah, Do you know exactly. what I mean? He's not going out there and listening to you know, Bob Dylan's, uh, you know, discography, which is, of course, fantastic, mm. and trying to find a song that fits. No. He's actually writing songs that fit exactly to the situation. Yeah, and as a songwriter, he's able to appreciate what it's like, you know, yeah. as for Fatino, it's like, oh, and <coughs> one of the performances I really liked, uh, was a supporting one, was of the guitarist of the band. Um, and kind of the music, he's great. Yeah. You can musical um, hub of it called Eamon, um, and he's, he's fantastic. Um, and you know throughout the film you know Connor will go up and say do you want to help me write a song he's like yeah <laughs> yeah always <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and um, I mean it is a film as well that has a real fondness uh, for its characters you know even even the bully at the yeah. end there's a re- there's a redemption there yeah. you know and you begin to feel like actually he's really just a victim of his circumstances yeah. you know just like these other guys are yeah um, so there's not a bad bone in it at all. Really. Not at all. I honestly, one of the best films I've seen at the cinema in a very long time. One of the best, I think. I film of the year, apart from Room. Yeah, I, honestly. Yeah. Th- that and probably Spot. It's obviously very different from Spotlight, but I for a film that I really, really enjoyed. Had a smile on my face the whole way throughout. Made me think. Made me kind of um, laugh, you know, cry. Laugh, cry. But you know, I had a smile throughout. Um, everybody wants some, but you know it was all surface, really, isn't it? Yeah. This is, oh, I think, a real substance. I, mean, I was trying to say something. Yeah. And it really got through to me. Yeah. I can't. I can't. He can't. He can't, he can't stress it enough. No, and go see it. It's not. He's like know. holding his hands up to the microphone right now, just um, trying to grasp what he felt about it. Don't go see X Men. Don't be a slave to the. Well, if anyone listens to this, <coughs> they're not going to go and see X Men no. and not Sing Street. Oh yeah, I guarantee you will have a good time. If you go and see Sing Street, yeah, I, I can't it, put it this way. I don't see how you could possibly not like that movie. Like, it's no. impossible not to like no. it. Do you know what I mean? The and that whole thing about Stone and yeah, ear of Tim. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, completely. I mean, you'd have to be the biggest cynic in the world yeah. not to sit through that and enjoy it. And even if you were, there'd be part of you that was enjoying it. Yeah. Okay, so it's a big thumbs up here from. I quite enjoyed it. I guess. Yeah, quite, yeah, yeah, it was alright. Yeah, yeah, it was alright. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, okay, great. So yeah, massive thumbs up from from us here, and 
it's not playing in every cinema, but I, it's definitely worth the trip to one that's showing it. Yeah. Um, don't read too much about it. Don't listen to too many of the songs. It'll you know hit you harder that way. And go with you know go with a few people. It's the kind of film that's nice to see as ensemble. Go for a pint afterwards as well. Yeah. Which we didn't do. No. I went off to buy my chicken corn at Sainsbury. <laughs> <laughs> Very rock and roll. <laughs> right, okay, fine. So, coming up next, we have a bit of a change of tone. We're doing everyone's favourite section. It's uh, Marmite Movies. And this time, we've, <laughs> this time we've got Scary Movie. Getting yeasty. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see... Where we fall on that one. Have a quick think about who who might be defending and who might be attacking. Or what you could possibly critically say about Scary Movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a struggle. Bear with us. Coming up. Marmalade. Peanut butter, Jan. No, it's Marmite movies. So, uh. So cringe. <laughs> so cringe. I didn't know he was going to do that. Yeah, it just sprung it on him. We're going to cut that. It's filled we're gonna, with disgust. We're going to cut that. Um, so, this week we're doing Scary Movie, and take a moment just to think who might be defending it and who, you know, might secretly really love it. Or, no, actually, publicly on the record, defend it. Is it going to be the guy who sees good in almost every film? Or is it going to be the guy who tends to shoot down, you know, more movies than not and see bad in almost everything with heart? But then again, I have defended Twilight. You have. I'm very proud of doing that, actually. I'm, I'm sure you are. I was. And now, I'm probably not as proud to defend Scary Movie. Yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> one. I, so that is where we stand. I think I appreciate that you, you don't give two hoots about you know what people might think you might like. I'm no, I don't give a shit about that. I mean, let's let me be clear though. I'm not defending Scary Movie on any sort of moral grounds. I think all. it would be pretty hard to. Well, it would be. So that so I'm an open goal mm. in that respect. You know, Twilight. I was defending on a lot of grounds. You know. Um, but Scary Movie, I, basically my argument for Scary Movie is this. I think I found it extremely funny when I was watching it with my friends when I was 12 and 13. And I watched it the other day. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't watch all of it. But it was on TV the other day. And I was, you know, I was doing something on my laptop. And I was watching it. And I laughed a lot in it. It passed the five laugh, you know, rule <clears throat> very, very, very quickly, very early on. I do find that kind of slapstick humour funny. Should we talk about a little bit about the plot? A little bit about it. Um, so it's a basic spoof of Scream. Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah. Which were horror movies that came out in sort of the 90s, I think. Yeah. Scream's a good film. Yeah. I mean, Wes Craven. I'm, yeah, I'm going to talk a bit about Scream and the virtues of spoofing Scream. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the uh, girl kind of... Like and Scream gets killed early on, Carmen Electra, mm-hmm. um, and then you know, the rest this, of the this other girl called Cindy, yeah. her and her friends. Basically, this is the plot her and her friends accidentally kill this guy, they run him over, they don't tell anybody they've done yeah. it, and then a masked killer starts to pick them off one by one. Yeah, that's that's basically that's the plot. it. There's, Set in an American high school yeah. with every kind of reference. You could have thrown in like reference to the Budweiser ad with "What's up?" You know, yeah, every reference you could have in the year two thousand. Yeah, basically um, yeah. possible. So, so I guess it's dated in a way. It is dated, and one of the interesting things, you know, reading some of the reviews um, of it is, I think it was a lot more boundary pushing in terms of how crass it is then hmm. than it would be now. You know, yeah. since, since then we've had things like Borat. Hmm. Um, and there's a whole raft of things which are, you know, this is, you know, it's pretty reprehensible. Um, but it's, you wouldn't think of it as boundary pushing or on the very edge. No, you just see it as being stupid. Like stupid. The Wines Brothers. It's directed by the Wines, directed, produced, written yeah. by the Wines Brothers, who also did Little Man, which was apparently just horrible. Yeah, it's an awful film. Yeah. Um, Unlike this, which is obviously, you know, work of genius. Um, 
so so these are these are my you know arguments but well actually this is one of my questions am i just laughing at it now because i'm thinking back to my sort of 12 13 year old self giggling at it then for all the sex references and stuff do you know what i mean watching it with my mates and laughing at myself back then do you know what i mean am i laughing at that version of myself that found it funny then or am i actually laughing at the film I think a mixture. I think probably quite heavily the first one was mm. what I would say. Mm. You know, there are some bits that make you chuckle. Um, you know, the should we, should we roll the should clip? Let's, 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 roll the clip. let's have the clip because this yeah. really gives. Uh, this basically is gives you a taste of what the film sounds like the whole way through. Hello, I'm Gail Hailstorm, author of the book "You're Dead, I'm Rich." A small college town is in shock after the unthinkable has happened. A brutal killing spree that left one teen dead. That's it. Two teens dead, and this small town shaken and stirred. It's times like these. Police are combing the area for clues. It seems there are no witnesses available at this time. There are no suspects in custody. Police are asking anyone to come forward. Report live for Black TV. White folks are dead. We're getting the fuck out of here. Let's roll, Jack. Black folks dead. Let's go, motherfucker. Go, go. Hey. Do you think the press is going to want to talk to us? Oh, girl, no. The press only wants to interview the most ignorant person they can find. I'm on TV! Oh, shit! First cops, now this? Oh, man, I'm be a star, son! What can you tell us about Drew? Well, she had the fat ass, son. I mean, it was like, bang! How close were you to the victim? Real close. Until the roofies wore off. Then she woke up talking about pressing charges, so I just pulled my tongue out of her ass and left. What would have been your last words to Drew? Run, bitch! Run! Yeah. Yeah. I I mean... Yeah. You were laughing, though. The first... The bit I was... Okay, the... the bit I laughed at the most, the first time I saw that clip, is the reporter, author of the book, You're Dead, I'm Rich. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, I think is actually... That's that's quite clever. Um, Because there are lots of reporters... In America, who write books like true crime books? Like there you go. Them. It's a parody, you know. Yeah, that's no, a that, good that, parody. That is unusually incisive satire. Um, yeah, but there's other like uh, they take the piss out of the whole scream queen thing. Like when she's getting stabbed, she's like, "Oh my god, are you gonna like cut off my head now?" And you know, like the over theatrical performances yeah, of, of some it, girls in kills. horror movies that are like, "Oh no, please don't kill me!" And then you know, it's just yeah. If that if it did that's that joke apparently. straight off the bat, then that's fine. But then they go over and over and over it. And a lot of the jokes are very signposted. You know exactly what's going to happen. And the other thing you get from that is it's just like the gag rate is very high. Oh, yeah. Oh, it it just, misses, it misses uh, yeah, quite a bit. But it hits. More enough. than it hits, I think. I want to... Um, I want to try something with Joe. I want to read him the first few lines of the plot as described on Wikipedia. And I challenge you not to laugh at this, okay? An 18-year-old named Drew Decker receives a threatening phone call while home alone one night. Drew is chased outside by Ghostface, who stabs her in the breast, removing one of her silicon breast implants. Yeah, I remember that bit. She is hit by a vehicle driven by her father, who is distracted by oral sex by his wife. And then is subsequently murdered by Ghostface. Isn't that just the best opening? Oh, but you know, I okay, A, I remember that, but it's like it's so ridiculous. It's so But that's why it's funny. It's some okay. films are not stupid enough to be funny. Some films take I'm not even saying they're not I'm not even saying they're being stupid like on purpose. It's just so stupid. It's not even it's conscious so of how stupid it is. I don't think it is. I'm not see. That's how. Also. That's why it's okay. funny. You can see two, two of my. Some two, films are too clever to be to be funny. Too too of, too stupid to be any good, but too aware of themselves to be funny, and that's the worst place to be. So you you think if it's just 100 percent stupid, you're finally going on with it. Yes. Okay. Two of my biggest issues with this. One is you no know, directly with the film of being a, a parody of Scream, which is itself a satire of horror movies. Yeah, um, that's you know, a fair the, point. the whole plot has rolled around, oh, do you think this is going to happen next? 
Well, this actually is, you know, turn the whole genre on its head. Yeah. While you then do a parody of that. It's a parody of a parody. Yeah, exactly. So that's one inherent flaw. But the thing is, you know, of all of the scary movies, you know, this one is the best. But there are three. There are five, I think, in total. But by the third one, they're not even doing horror movies anymore. And then what this also launches, scary movie, is a whole genre of shit. It launches epic movie, not another teen movie, meet the Spartans, all that kind of this slew of But that's not its fault. No, but but this this is a wider point about, you know, what this has allowed. I agree. I mean, it was ridiculously successful. It, I think it they spent seventeen million and it mm. grossed over two hundred million. I That's mean, insane. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. It's a ridiculous return. Um, I, you know, and I agree. It is a parody of a parody, and it is completely daft and stupid. And you know, I I think I think part of it was that I was just quite young and. I, a lot I, of the I, sex I references. Yeah. Are, you know, a lot <laughs> of sex. Like, oh, yeah, I was, yeah. I was like twelve. Yeah. Like, uh, Friend of the show, Ed Rance's house a few times. It's the kind of film, yeah. you know, you have your first beer, you have your first spliff, you know, scary movie, you put scary movie on, don't you? Um, I don't know what you're talking about, Samuel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, mate. But, uh, yeah, okay. <coughs> I mean, I can concede it's not a fantastic film. Mm. But then again, I do feel like sometimes, you know, you need a little bit of scary movie in your life, in your film life. It Maybe if you want to completely switch off, but I think there are other films... That kind of have really stupid off the wall gags um, that have a bit more coherency of plot and aren't a parody of a parody, and also launch uh, a whole slew of terrible, terrible films. Yeah, the Fallout has been as the Fallout has been. It has. It's a crime against utter, yeah. utter disaster. Scary Movie Three was quite funny. That was one of my favourites. I really liked that one. That was the one that took the piss out of Signs and The Ring. Remember the woman yeah. came out of the TV and started beating the crap out of Cindy's yeah. friend? Yeah, and there was also this was a bit about it in The Matrix. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, The Matrix bits is probably one And of she the was like ones. combing her hair and then she was like combing her armpit hair. Yeah. That was really funny. See? Scary Movie... Okay, fine. So, Scary Movie 1, Scary Movie 3, fully recommended and endorsed by this show. By Samuel. By Samuel. <laughs> Not Joe. Poor, no. poor Joe. Alright, fine. Alright, you know what? I'll give you this one. You've won this round of Marmite. Thank you. I don't even like Marmite. I, I feel like maybe it should be some, some sort of ceremonial Marmite taste. Yeah, we don't, we don't. Yeah, we should do that. We'll introduce that next time. I wouldn't enjoy I'll, it. I'll be winning next time. Alright, fine. So it's a thumbs down for Scary Movie, I'm afraid. Sorry, Wines Brothers. Coming up. You were trying to do something good. Yeah, coming up. Um, A nice change in tone. Thank God. Um... It's a hidden gem, Adventureland, which uh, Joe has watched recently, and yeah. I brought along to the show. So stay tuned for that, starring Kristen Stewart, Jesse Eisenberg. Hello, and welcome back. Okay, coming on to our final section now, hidden gems, um, a popular one here at Everyone's Critic. I have brought... Um, Adventureland this time and I I don't know if it would classify as a hidden gem as much as some of the previous ones have it's quite a mainstream director I think it's one of the more recent ones as well, well yeah yeah, I would agree Yeah, one of the more recent ones starring Kristen Stewart and Jesse Eisenberg and Ryan Reynolds who's pretty damn and Ryan Reynolds as well but it, it was it was a fairly small budget and I think it was quite a limited release yeah um so, anyway, so as I've already mentioned, starring Kristen Stewart and Jesse Eisenberg, this was after Kristen Stewart's first uh, Twilight film. I think she was about 20 when this was came out, and I think Jesse Eisenberg probably around the same age. Um, directed by uh, Greg Mottola, who directed Superbad, and he also directed Paul with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. And I wasn't a big fan of Superbad, to be honest. I just... I don't know what my central problem with it was. I just didn't really like the male characters in it. I quite like Superbad. Yeah, you quite like Superbad. I didn't really laugh that much in it either. Mm. And it kind of was the bad end of Seth Rogen-type humour for me. Um, And I feel like one of the great things about this film is it has really interesting characters um, that you can 
not only relate to, but ones that you actually quite like and you believe in their relationships. Um, so that was, you know, where super bad. I, I thought they were a little bit more flimsy. And this feels like the film that Greg Matola, you know, he, I think he produced it himself. He directed it himself. Feels like the one he he wanted to make. Mm. I, I know that it was partly based on his own. Yeah, autobiographical about working in a fairground type place. Exactly. In, yeah. You know, finishing uni in the eighties. Yeah, so it's set in 1987 in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, Jesse Eisenberg's character is expecting to go away on a European holiday for the summer before he goes off to Columbia University and for a masters for a masters grad school grad school in journalism. And his parents drop the bomb that they basically can't afford to fund his trip or his university anymore. So he's going to have to get you know, the dreaded summer mm. job, mm. Um, you know, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So, you know, going back home to get a summer job rather than going abroad, you know. Yeah. I think this really is one of those films that, that says, you know, sometimes you might find things that you're looking for that you didn't even know you want in the places that you least expect them to be or somewhere close to you, somewhere closer than mm. you expected them to be. Do you know what I mean? Closer to home. It has that kind of feel about it. Um, so... Jesse Eisenberg's character then starts working at Adventureland, which is a theme park, you know, the theme, theme park, and... Um, yeah, not like Thought Park, more kind of fairground. Yeah, more kind o- of open a for crap the kind of Thought Park, yeah, yeah, it's not all year round, yeah. not very glossy, you know, yeah. all the rides are like breaking down all the time. Yeah. Christian Stewart works there, you know, fantastic. Yeah. You know, what All the games are rigged. Yeah, all the games are rigged. Um, So he meets Kristen Stewart, and she seems like a really interesting character, although she's quite emotionally, seemingly emotionally unavailable, and, you know, it seems like something else is going on with her, and we find out that she's in this other relationship with Ryan Reynolds, Mm -hmm. who is in a band but also does sort of... um, repair work. He's an engineer, techie type guy. He's an engineer at the amusement park. Yeah. so anyway, here we have a clip of Jesse Eisenberg getting hired to work at Adventureland by none other than Bill Hader and Christian Wick, who are really fantastic in this as yeah. well. Uh, I don't have much work experience per se, but um, I have... I'm sorry. Okay. Bobby. This is James, and he's uh, playing for a games job. Games? Oh, great. Uh, Good. Let's get you set up. Actually, Bobby, I prefer a rides job if it's still open. You look more like a games guy, plus I got at the games okay. application. So, uh, okay. all right. Yeah, no, My name is Bobby. Okay, rules. No freebies. No free turns for your friends. No free upgrades. No free food. So just nothing is free here. Uh, everybody has to pay for everything. And more importantly, uh, working in games... No one ever wins a giant ass panda. Yeah, we don't have that many left. Cool. Can you give me a t-shirt, please? Here, I have a resume. I don't know if you still want to take a look at it. Um, uh, James, am I pronouncing that right? James? James? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, by accepting this t-shirt, you are... Hired. Well, Sorry. usually a... More of a ceremonial thing. So, there you have it. Jesse Eisenberg, hired to work at Adventureland. Doesn't particularly want to be there. Discovers a group of friends that, you know, probably different from his pretentious university, uh, pretentious, yeah, uni friends. Yeah. Um, and, you know, meets cute with Kristen Stewart. And Kristen Stewart is just, I, I partly wanted you to watch this because, you know, I think you have a little bit of a resistance to Kristen Stewart. Possibly because in, of the Twilight, the Twilight films. films. In the Twilight films, um, you know, I, I thought she was really good and still Alice. I, the, um, her general performance... Um, and character in the Twilight films grated me beyond belief. Um, yeah. But I, I think, you know, in this film it sees it a lot more. I think she tones down her uh, kind of um, character and attitude I think a bit. And it's, I think it's more suited and you get a bit more, I think, background to the character and you understand a bit more why she's like, why that. She's like that. And she opens up more than she does in the Twilight films. I, you know, I think I, I really enjoy her in this. She plays a kind of emo-ish character. Not yeah. quite. It's just kind of alternative yeah. character who's into like... Introverted, I think. Yeah, introverted. Which Kristen Stewart is anyway. You know, yeah. we talked about this before. She's just... 
she's she is born to play this role. I mean, if you want to see Kristen Stewart in her element, I mean, you have to watch this film because it, it seems it just just literally like she's being who she is on you know on film. Um, she plays you know a really awkward teenager who is interested in people, interested in ideas. Um, not just some two-dimensional sort of attractive girl. You know, mm-hmm. obviously she is attractive, mm-hmm. but, you know, that's only one side of it. And paired with fantastic performance by Jesse Eisenberg, who is an unlikely sort of romantic lead. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That, you that, wouldn't expect him to be in this kind of film. No. And there was a bit in the film where I'm like, is this really happening to Jesse Eisenberg? And yeah. When he's kind of juggling. I'm like, mm. I believe that. I, I, I kind of believe that, you know, circumstances transpired. To end up that way, and I think part of the reason you do believe it is because he doesn't quite believe it either. He's like, "What the hell is going so on?" So another girl me? who's a lot more, well, who's very attractive mm. as and well, and is known as you know the the, the hot girl. Yeah. yeah, shows an interest in Jesse Eisenberg yeah. as well. But I think there's something to be said for that. You know, it's small town. You know, she obviously fair enough. Um, like she, you know, she's really hot, but she probably doesn't meet people mm. like that. You know, working at Adventureland. Mm. So I believed in that relationship as well, and I believed in her infatuation with him because I think he represented something a little bit from the outside world for her. Yeah, and uh, just in, back to the supporting role, Bill Hader in that clip. Bill Hader, I think, doing some of his best work. He's really, he's, really good in that. He's really fantastic. Very funny. Yeah. And uh, Kristen Wiig, kind of pre-bridesmaid, so kind of pre-people knowing her. Yes. Um, people might know her from Saturday Night Live. You know, doing very well as kind of space cadet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, time character. Side, sidekick, yeah. And Ryan Reynolds as well, um, playing that sort of almost slimy but kind of likeable. You don't hate his character. Um, well, I didn't anyway. You know, he he basically like sleeps with girls from the park because he's in a band. But it transpires that he doesn't really know that much about music. You know. Yeah, and uh, and he's also married, um, and he's he's older, and you know, and he's hitting on these kind of. 16 to 21 year old Mm. um, but I think he's just you know he's just bored in a small town like the rest of them are yeah and there isn't you know you'd expect there to be more animosity between his character and Jesse Eisenberg than there is in a way yeah Um, yeah. I I almost quite like that and there's a part of Ryan Reynolds but you know I don't think it's a plot giveaway to say that he's like sleeping with Christian Stewart there's part of you kind of feel there's part of him that wants her to go off with Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He kind of... I actually quite likes Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, no, I thought Ryan Reynolds was really good as well. Um, it's got really good soundtrack. It's got um, Pale Blue Eyes by Lou Reed from the Velvet Underground's um, third album. And it's got Satellite of Love in it as well by Lou Reed. They have this obsession with Lou Reed. You yeah. know, she's always wearing a Lou, uh, Lou Reed t-shirt. Yeah, and part of Ryan Reynolds' mystique is that he once played with Lou Reed. Because that he wants jam with Lou Reed. But yeah. then the irony is that he says, sing a light of love, but it's actually satellite of love. Yeah. And you actually get the feeling that he's probably been lying about the fact that he played with Lou Reed. Or if he did play with Lou Reed, he was just... You know, happened to be there. Happened to be there, yeah. and actually, the people that are passionate about it, are the people that never actually get to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would. Yeah, I'd really recommend it. It's got some comparisons with Spectacular Now as well. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, Did you notice the really big one in the ending? Car crash. Both there's a car crash in both endings. Yeah. Yeah. No. Literally I... two drunken car crashes. Diff- different car crashes. Yeah, that's not really different. a plot spoiler because they're not bad ones. No, and they're not kind of that integral to the endings either. No. Um, I mean, the eventual album was slightly funnier, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's quite funny. Um, but no, I enjoyed it. It was quite a little film. And I, I happened to see it because I was on Saturday and I was going through Netflix um, and I was with my girlfriend, Siobhan, and... Uh, Joe oh, Nichols has been who's been on the show before um, and she's like oh you know we were going to watch this I haven't watched this before and I knew you really liked it I was like yeah let's give it a go and all three of us really enjoyed it yeah it's it's really really good I loved it I mm. really really loved it um, you know if you're listening to this and you're sort of 17, 18 it's the perfect film to watch yeah, at I felt, that age I felt it had quite a bit of um, resonance for me kind of just finishing uni yeah, well, it had a reference for me as well because I remember 
well, after school, I took a year out mm. to just basically work a shitty job um, mm. up in Sheffield, like behind the tills in a mm. like supermarket. Um, and there is something to do with when you're doing a job that you hate and all your all your colleagues hate it as well. There's a togetherness. There's a camaraderie. And it, yeah, completely. A camaraderie, you know, you're united against the common enemy, which yeah. is the job. And although the job is awful, the only way you get through it is by... I was by those friendships. Do you know what I mean? And then you go out drinking with them and, you know... So I, I really had a, I had a connection with it through that as well. So, yeah, no, I'd really strongly recommend it. So it's a hidden gem, classified hidden gem? I would say so, yeah. Okay, yeah. fantastic. You heard it here first. Um, so that's the end of the show, guys. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. Yeah, no, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed... Yeah, and, and you know, watching Adventureland, I'm glad you've recommended it before. No problem. With Sing Street. Thank you, and Samuel. I was going to say, featuring Sing Street, which is, as you probably can tell, probably one of Joe's favourite films of the year. Yeah. Safe, safe to say, up there with Room and Spotlight. God, those are three pretty different films. <laughs> All very, very different. Yeah. You know, it just showcases the variety that we bring you here, and everyone's a critic. Exactly, and the fact that you're not just a sort of one-trick pony in terms of what you like. Exactly. Okay, fantastic. So, stay tuned for next fortnight. We yeah. will have new releases for you, um, and you know, some other shit that we decide to do. All right. See you then, listeners. Thanks for listening. Bye.